You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, indeed, that is our prayer. Now call us out of the wandering, Jesus. Now come and cast out our fear. Spirit, now preach the Son to our deafness. Open our hearts this morning that we may hear. For this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you've got your bulletin or your Bible, we're going to jump into Luke chapter 13 today, the gospel reading. Um, Everybody doing okay this morning? Good. Like three of you are doing awesome. Uh, So we'll we'll get going with you three. Um, um, Have you ever heard the the sermon, Safely, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling? You've heard that? Not sermon, that hymn. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. The hymn begins with softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Well, today's passage, uh, that is not what's happening. Uh, Jesus is not calling softly and tenderly. He's calling loudly and pointedly today. And the text begins today with a little bit of blood and gore, and it finishes with a parable about manure which if you have boys in your home, that's a topic of conversation all the time. Uh, I know in our home, uh, the potty humor reigns supreme, and, and admittedly, it never ceases to entertain. Um, however, this conversation with Jesus is not at all humorous for his hearers. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It's meant to cut right to the heart. Have you ever been around that person that is unable to numb or to sweep things under the rug, that if something is bothering them, they would instead rather uh, excavate the entire thing, bring it to the surface, let's deal with what's going on, instead of burying it down? On the other hand, there are others, and the largest probably majority of people, who gravitate to the more trivial things, and so we'd, we'd rather push them away or, or get them, we'd rather bury them if they're bothersome, and we oftentimes do that by, uh, by putting trivial things in the way to not think about what's bothering us. We don't do this on purpose oftentimes, but we're trained to do this, right? Especially in the South. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the South. What, what, what did you always hear? Well, we'll just sweep that under the rug, and we'll pretend like it didn't happen, and then 20 years later at a family reunion, everything explodes, and you're going, I don't even know what happened 20 years ago, but it's been under that rug, and that monster comes out, right? If something is waning on us or bothering us, we try to numb it in any way we can. We escape to things. Now, again, there are things that we do to escape the things that, that get in our way or that we don't like or that are bothersome. A lot of times, uh, or sometimes, we might turn to alcohol or drugs, but really more often, I think the thing that we turn to is probably television, Netflix, movies, or one of our favorites, sports. If we can just numb things with sports, if we can watch more football or watch March Madness and forget about life. Now, don't get me wrong. I love sports. I love watching sports. I love March Madness. I love football. But, I mean, come on. Grown men who are really out of shape, taking off their shirt and painting their full bodies to cheer for a bunch of guys on a football field. That's a little, that's a little crazy. It's a little goofy. We do some goofy things, but it's all in an attempt oftentimes to escape what is really there to escape what's really going on. Luke today in, in Jesus, he, instead of avoiding the topic, Jesus goes straight to the heart. And 
I will say this, it, there's no numbing it. He hits it head on. We all know what happens if you begin to press into some coal and you put pressure on coal for long enough, over time, it turns into a diamond. As a society at large, we prefer candy over coal, though. And because that is our preference, we'll do whatever it takes to get comfort. It is that comfort that breeds shallowness oftentimes. When we do that in our spiritual life, it breeds shallowness and immaturity, and that brings us again to what Jesus is pressing in on us today. The text today does not lend itself to candy. Again, it's bloody, it's difficult, and it might even offend this morning. But the intention is that it would press the coal into diamonds. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 13. Some folks, the crowd is around Jesus and they come to him and they say, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, it's important here to get some context of what he's talking about, what, what the people are talking about. Uh, the only celebration in the Jewish uh, for a Jew in the first century where they, as a layperson, would have killed their own sacrifice would have been at Passover. We don't know really anything about this situation. It only appears here in Luke, and it's a one-sentence thing that, that's apparently that, um, that Pilate had, had ordered some killings of these Galileans during the Passover, and when they killed, when they went in and killed the Jews at Passover, they, they slit their throats and they mixed their blood with the sacrifices of the Passover and they poured them on the altar. I told you, pretty gruesome, right? It's not something we like to talk about. It, and I don't want to get too gory here, but it would be the equivalent of a government official showing up on Sunday morning and killing each of us and then pouring our blood on the cross today. It was an act of brutal paganism and irreverence for God. And so the people come, Jesus, are you aware of what happened? The Galileans' blood being mixed with the sacrifices. And look at his response in verse 2. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of you, than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that there were worse offenders than any of the others who, were, who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus attacks a very popular idea then and even now that our circumstances are based on what we did or did not do. So if you're good, good things happen to you. If you're bad, bad things happen to you and you have some sort of level of wickedness in your heart that brought that about. Now, I can't fathom how anyone would think this way. Could anyone seriously say that their philosophical, their philosophical belief is that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? Have you ever gone outside? Have you ever watched television? Have you ever read the news? It's the complete opposite oftentimes. Not all the time, but oftentimes. So he attacks this idea because it was prevalent in the day. That if something is happening to you that's bad, you're being persecuted for some reason, clearly you've done something wrong. So he attacks the idea. Do you think that, that, that they are worse sinners than you, he says. If you don't repent, 
you will likewise perish. This isn't homeboy Jesus that some people in the New Age tend to think about, and they, they say that God of the Old Testament is, is brutal, and yet Jesus is more lovey-dovey and flowing with lots of product in his hair. No, this is not that kind of Jesus. Jesus here is not lovey-dovey. He's not sweet in this moment, and he certainly doesn't have any product in his hair. He's telling them, you are just as worse sinners as anybody else. Then he gives them another tragic story to go along with the one they just told him. Or those 18 who were in the tower in Salome when it fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So you have one story about a wicked man who goes in and, and, and carries out an order to kill the Jews in a time of worship. And another story where a foundation was faulty and the tower fell and killed 18 people. Are they worse than you? Jesus says, no, these men and women were worshiping. They were killed. They were just going to work, and the tower fell on them. They were no more wicked than you, than any of you, and they were no more moral than any of you. They're everyday people, like the men and women who woke up and got on an airplane on September 11, 2001, like the man who calls his wife to tell her he's on the way home, but he doesn't ever make it. It's not that they were more wicked than you or me. And what is Jesus' point here? He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is he telling us we're all going to die this brutal death, that our throats will be cut and that our blood will be mingled? No, because he knows that it doesn't work like that. It means that these men and women, their death snuck up on them. They were not prepared or ready, but the alarm went off just as it did every morning. And they got up and they took a shower and they did their thing and they, they headed down to the tower in Siloam on their camels and they got there and they began the work and then all of a sudden the building begins to shake and it collapses and they die. And before you start thinking, he's going to use some sort of scare tactic to literally scare the, the hell out of us. I'm not here to preach hellfire and brimstone because I don't think it's effective Mainly because I don't think heaven was established that way. Heaven was not created and established for those, for, for those who are scared of hell. It was created and established for those who love God and long to worship him. So it should not be hard for us to believe that death is going to sneak up on us. I mean, think about it for a minute. Last year, it seems like I was just meeting this beautiful girl in college who would soon be my wife and now I'm 42 years old, three kids later, lived in eight different apartments and houses, got, two, uh, got a dog and a cat, and, and all these things are happening. But it seems like just yesterday that we were meeting and falling in love. I remember when Davis, our youngest, started kindergarten. We had several people say to us, in the blink of an eye, he's going to be gone. I don't know how to respond to that. Like, thanks. Um, appreciate that. Not, not sure why people feel like that's uh, helpful to say. But I catch myself now, as I older I get, I, I catch myself talking to younger people like that. Well, one day they're going to grow up. I'm like, well, that's not helpful for me to say either. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we used the phrase, it seems like just yesterday? And really, it's been 20 years ago. I was watching a little silly thing. So I was flipping through the channels the other day on, on TV, and, and Teen Wolf came on. And I watched Teen Wolf, and I, I just tuned into it. And I was like, man, 
This is such a great movie. I remember when this came, and I look at it. It came out like 1987. It's like 30 years ago. I was like, oh, wow, that was a long time ago. I don't remember being that long ago. And so it shouldn't surprise us that death can sneak up on us. I mean, if everything else can sneak up on us, before we know it, in the blink of an eye, we find ourselves 90 years old in the hospital bed, breathing our last. That's only if death doesn't take us in another way, much sooner than 90. Some of you are going, we get it. Can we go to a happy place now? Can we stop talking about the death and the gore? Well, Jesus says here, repent or perish. That means men and women died unprepared. But that also implies that you can be prepared through repentance and living life for the glory of God every day like it's your last. That was his challenge to those folks there. Don't let it sneak up on you. And then he goes on and he, he brings the point home with this, with this illustration about manure on a tree. He ends this conversation with a story and the story says this. And he told the parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Jesus here, he's saying, let me be clear that if you do not repent, you will perish. What you need to repent of is very clear as well, your fruitlessness. You're not being fruitful. If you're not being fruitful, he's saying, I might as well cut it down and plant another tree that's going to be fruitful. Our moral goodness is not storing up for us righteousness in heaven. Scripture is very clear that the best we can do is like filthy rags to the Lord. It's his work on the cross, his righteousness traded for our unrighteousness that put a, puts us in good standing before the Father. And all the, I'm better than him, or my social justice, or I don't steal as much as that guy, all those things that we think gain us favor with God Almighty. Christ is saying in this parable that it's not the kind of fruit that I want. The kind of fruit that Christ desires is worship, repentance, and submission. That's what he's after. Look what he says. Almost three years I've been teaching and preaching and discipling others, and nothing from you all who are bringing up the point about the blood and the gore. Cut that tree down. It doesn't have any fruit. It's wasting the ground where it is planted, he says. What happens when you stagnate in your faith, when faith becomes a list of moral observances, when this is, this is all there is, church, one hour a week on Sunday, when you don't grow into worship of him or grow into a love of God's power and might and glory, when we just try to do better or do good for our own glory, Jesus says we're sucking nutrients out of the ground where others are trying to grow. It's contrary to the gospel, and it's confusing for those who observe it. Jesus says, cut that down. I'll plant some more fruit. It'll bear fruit. That's pretty heavy. It's pretty heady. Most of that falls into a category. I once heard a preacher say when he was preaching, he said, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. 
Because it, it hits all of us in some way, right? We all fall into that mentality at times, and we don't even realize it. And if you're sitting there saying this morning, well, it's not me, well, it probably is you. God is both the characters in the parable this morning. He's the vine dresser and he's the owner. So there's this rebuke of the belittling of his name, but a patience of God that screams, give it more time. Give it more time. In our reading of this today, it's the fertilizer that's meant to push you, to challenge you, to press into you. And if we want to get really literal, the sermon today is manure. And it is my prayer that you hear the words of Jesus and it makes you ask the question, am I bearing fruit or am I just an observer of this great faith? Are you a consumer of the faith or a participant in the bringing forth of God's kingdom? Those two things are fundamentally different. And Jesus is pressing in today with patience and a desire to see us move into participation. So you have wrath, the wrath of God towards those who belittle his name and despite the cross still trying to do good enough. And then you have the patience of God saying, I'm slow to anger, abounding in love. I'm going to give it a little more time and I'm going to draw them into my presence that they might hear the word and know me and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I pray that the words of Jesus today would be the manure that you need to press into you today that you might say, am I, am I bearing fruit? Or is the vine grower looking at me saying, cut it down? And when you hear that, know that God is saying, Give it a little more time. Just be patient. I trust that I, can, I will work in their hearts, that they will respond to my call. Might this be the weight that transforms our hearts this morning, that presses coal into diamonds today? Let me pray for us. Jesus, would you draw us near? To you. Father, where we haven't been fruitful, would you convict us? Would you show us what it means to participate in the bringing forth of your kingdom that, not, that we wouldn't just be consumers, that we wouldn't fall into the category that Jesus was talking about when he, when he was talking to the crowd that day, that so many had not produced anything. And God, we praise you and thank you that you're patient with us. When we stumble and when we fall, we find ourselves stagnant. That you're a patient God who loves us. That you're abounding in love. God, would you deal graciously with us this morning? Would you press us indeed? Press this coal into diamonds that we may be used for your glory. For it's the sake of Jesus we pray all this. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.